You're listening to the Diplomats Asia Geopolitics Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Putz, coming to you from Hawaii. And this is Ankit Panda. I'm just in Washington, D.C., unfortunately. Would love to be in Hawaii. How are you doing, Katie? Doing great. Everything is better when you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and I think that I think we can we can put a pin on that one. Well, so we have a very special episode today. Uh, we are marking the podcast's 10th anniversary. It's been around for 10 years. And I think to celebrate those 10 years, Ankit and I are going to do something a little bit different, I think, and kind of look back and reflect on what's changed and what hasn't in Asia over the last decade. Uh, but first, congratulations, Ankit. You've hosted this podcast for 10 years. Uh, before we get into really the, the topics that, that we've covered over the last decade, I kind of want to go back to the very beginning. You know, Ankit, tell us uh, a little bit about the genesis of the podcast and sort of its evolution. Yeah, no, it is kind of crazy to think that um, we've been doing this for 10 years, uh, and uh, I guess we'll get to all the ways in which Asian geopolitics has has changed in some really, really significant ways, of course, compared to February 2014, uh, which is when all of this began, uh, just uh, right before Russia actually annexed Crimea, right? Maybe that was the start of everything uh, kind of going topsy-turvy around the world, uh, if not in Asia. But, but yeah, so, you know, podcasts were obviously quite popular back in 2014. It's not like uh, The Diplomat was a pioneer in the world of podcasting per se, but uh, this was the first podcast uh, that The Diplomat ever uh, formally launched. And at the time, I think the idea was to have a platform to quickly react uh, to these issues. Uh, at the time, um, some some longtime listeners might remember uh, Zach Keck, uh, who was an editor at The Diplomat, uh, him and I got this thing started, uh, and I think uh, listeners can probably tell uh, we've invested in some better audio equipment since then, because if you go back <laughs> and listen to that first episode, I think we recorded that on a few um, pretty pretty cheap uh, USB microphones, uh, certainly did the job. Uh, and I have to say our early reviewers were quite generous to us, because uh, despite the audio quality issues, um, the content uh, seemed to at least meet uh, the exacting standards uh, of, of our listeners. Uh, and so since then, uh, the podcast has grown, I mean, uh, on, on production and audience. And I think, Katie, maybe maybe the place to really kick this off is to kind of give a big thank you to everybody that's uh, been listening, everybody that's subscribed, uh, of course, all the guests that have appeared on the show. We don't really do guests as much these days, but uh, the podcast has certainly been through phases where um, I, was, I was solo hosting for a while, too, so we repeatedly had guests. Um, and, and of course, everybody that's um, recommended the show, uh, word of mouth, I know, is a is a big way in which a lot of people have gotten into listening to the Asia Geopolitics podcast. Uh, so that's that's really the first thing to say, which is uh, just a big thank you uh, to everybody over over the last decade that's uh, supported this show and shown an interest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we would not be doing this if people weren't listening. And it, it is always nice to hear from listeners uh, that they enjoy the topics we're covering, uh, the way that we're covering them, and we always uh, appreciate that feedback uh, on on the audio in particular. You know that has improved. Uh, I am I'm currently on a work slash vacation, so I am on mobile. So I apologize. This isn't as good as usual, but you know, I, let's let's now kind of like look back at what we've done. You know, I, I peeked back at the first episodes, um, and you know, while the the style of the show has evolved over time with different co-hosts especially over the years, I think it's really remarkable to me the continuity in terms of topics. You know, and this isn't to say that we're simply sort of saying the same things over and over, or that there haven't been changes and developments in geopolitics in Asia. But I think there's some sort of interesting through lines, particularly when we kind of go back to that, you know, uh, 10 years ago, Mark, uh, the very first episode, which was released on February 24th, 2014, you and uh, Zach, who I, I think at the time was the 
the man, the managing editor, at least he was when he hired me later that year, uh, you discussed the South China Sea. And, you know, a few episodes later, you discussed the results of the 2014 Indian national elections, which brought the BJP and Narendra Modi to power, who's still in power and is facing elections soon. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, uh, some of the other early topics that jumped out at me while I was kind of going through, is, you know, the 2014 Sunflower Movement protests in Taiwan, the Umbrella Revolution in Hong Kong, uh, the jailing of uh, the, the famous Uyghur activist Ilham Toti, uh, the then sort of looming and ultimately long delayed withdrawal of NATO troops from Afghanistan, and a host of other issues. And, you know, I, I think these topics, at least when I was looking, are, are also things that continue to crop up in, in new and different forms. Uh, when you were looking back at sort of the, that early year, two years of, of the podcast, you know, what, what things jumped out to you on it? Yeah, so... It is interesting to think about how relatively speaking, again, relatively speaking, I'm not saying that in 2014 Asia was a uh, peaceful haven and uh, we didn't have <laughs> the issues that we worry about today. But it, it, it's sort of interesting to me how a lot of what we used to talk about was fairly sort of um, confined and sort of contained to, uh, in, in the case of crises, rather discrete issues, right? It wasn't like everything was getting mm -hmm. swept up into the framing at the time of systemic competition between the U.S. and China. Uh, this was back, uh, you know, 2014 was probably at the tail end of the transition. Uh, it was it was uh, Xi Jinping's first year as as general secretary um, had had just concluded, um, and um, and as president, of course, he takes over in 2012. So by the time we start the podcast, just a couple of years, the Belt and Road has just been announced in in 2013. Uh, and so when we talk about things like the South China Sea, we talked about you know Sino-Indian border issues at the time, as well. Uh, it. It's interesting to sort of go back and kind of think about just how all those issues used to be rather contextualized and contained in, in the relative context in which they were being discussed. Because these days, Katie, I mean, when we talk about, uh, you know, anything really, it all gets, uh, you know, swept into many of the great power dynamics at work, uh, be it uh, U.S.-Russia dynamics, U.S.-China dynamics. I think I think that sort of um, broader geopolitical framing changes is something that I sort of noticed going back. But uh, the South China Sea, I think, is certainly uh, an interesting one because it's uh, it's one that sort of, um, you know, there's this sort of drumbeat uh, on this podcast of, um, I would say the South China Sea and the Korean Peninsula are the two things we come back to. Uh, it's funny to go back and see a headline for one of these episodes from 2014 uh, called, is, the, uh, is Korean Stability Unraveling? Right? I feel like we could record a version of that <laughs> podcast today. Um, and so Evergreen. <laughs> some things never change, uh, right? So um, we, we, of course, um, started this at a time when South China Sea tensions were really starting to spike, uh, right? We had the the oil rig incident between China and Vietnam uh, in 2014, uh, all of the lead up to the arbitral tribunal decision in 2016, which we covered quite extensively, and we, and we broke that down. Uh, in 2015, the U.S. started publicizing freedom of navigation operations uh, near disputed uh, islands in the South China Sea, which we talked about quite a bit. Um, and it's actually funny, I mean, you know, I think maybe since COVID at least, um, the South China Sea probably isn't as much of a mainstay on this podcast as it used to be. Uh, and that's maybe, again, a reflection of just all the other uh, flashpoints and crises and and, uh, and geopolitical issues that have sort of cropped up in Asia uh, that we perhaps uh, didn't really used to think to, uh, think about too much all the way back in 2014. Um, but Katie, uh, you know, of course, um, I should also acknowledge, uh, you know, uh, we've talked about Zach uh, as the original co-host for the podcast, but... Uh, you know, we've we've had a few other uh, 
uh, co-host as well. So of course I want to acknowledge um, Prashant, uh, who who was a uh, who was a longstanding uh, co-host, our former uh, Southeast Asia editor uh, Prashant and I co-hosted the show for quite a number of years, uh, and then of course uh, Katie, you took over uh, as um, as uh, the latest co-host, uh, and of course our contemporary one, but. I wanted to sort of uh, ask you, Katie. Uh, so you went back and looked at the first episode that you ever appeared on. So, so which one was that? I did. So I first appeared on the podcast in the summer of 2015. Uh, it, Narendra Modi at that time was doing a grand tour of Central Asia. He was hitting all five countries. Uh, there was also he had just he had gone to Central Asia from Russia where he had attended the the SCO, some of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit and the BRICS Summit that were both hosted in Ufa, Russia that year. And so we also discussed the uh, joining of India and Pakistan into the SCO, which was at that time uh, in the works and sort of has since happened. Uh, the SCO continues to try to expand. But uh, li listening to that episode, it was really interesting in, in what ways the things that I would say would be very similar now uh, in, in that the, the SEO continues to be this sort of organization that, that doesn't have great direction. Uh, it tries to be all things at once and, and hasn't really accomplished all that much in my, my opinion. Uh, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I also I also checked to see if, if Modi had been back to Central Asia since 2015. Uh, he's been to Uzbekistan an additional two times. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan uh, once more and has never returned to uh, Turkmenistan. Uh, I don't know what that says about the India-Turkmenistan relationship, but uh, I, I thought it was it was interesting. Um, you know, I think that is the kind of episode we would do again. Uh, anytime somebody goes through Central Asia, I like to talk about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, I want to go back to the comment you made kind of about um, you know, at the time the podcast launched, the the BRI, which at the time was going by the acronym One Belt, One Road, uh, which had a terrible acronym, OBOR, which I think is, is part of the reason they shifted to Belt and Road. We didn't necessarily talk about everything as kind of being stitched into that. Um, and so I, I didn't I didn't listen to the full episode that I first appeared on, but I don't know if I mentioned the Belt and Road in the way that I would do that today as sort of framing China's interest in Central Asia and, and via via China, other countries' interests in Central Asia. So I, th I thought that was kind of an interesting, um, over time, you know, when you launch a grand initiative, uh, it takes a little bit of time before everybody kind of believes you because plenty of grand initiatives have been launched and sort of died in the first year or two. Um, and I think the, the Belt and Road, for, for what it's worth, the narrative went the distance at the very least. Uh, and, and so I think it's kind of interesting the way that our thinking about Asia has evolved in that, that vein as sort of seeing instead of sort of hyper contextualized, this event happens in region X and isn't really, doesn't have anything to do with region Y. I think we're starting to better kind of knit these things together. Uh, I'm sure there's some downsides to that, uh, but I do think that it, it can be helpful in kind of uh, tying sort of events together across, across regions. Yeah, I mean, the strategic concepts that I think um, people used to talk about in Asian geopolitics have certainly changed. I mean, uh, before there was the Indo-Pacific, uh, there was the Asia pivot uh, in, the, in the U.S. policy discourse. Uh, in India, we used to talk about the Act East policy. Uh, in China, I guess, uh, in the lead up to the BRI, um, the framing was uh, the March West idea, uh, right, uh, reaching mm -hmm. out, which, which predated Xi Jinping, but I think um, previewed many of the... Uh, or at least preview the strategic logic that I think would undergird the Belt and Road Initiative eventually. Um, so I think I think uh, it's interesting to see how those concepts have evolved. Um, I think uh, over the years, of course, we we also kind of looked quite closely at 
uh, strategic documents, major speeches, uh, you know, like the 2016 speech by Secretary of Defense, uh, U.S. Secretary of Defense Ash Carter, the Shangri-La Dialogue, where he spoke about a principled security network. Sort of interesting to go back and reflect on that as sort of, again, one of the conceptual ancestors of what does become uh, then the Indo-Pacific strategy. Uh, and of course, if you're listening to this podcast for a while, I'm sure listeners have been quite aware about uh, Japan in many ways being the um, prototype uh, country when it came to the idea of the Indo-Pacific, which really you could trace back to a speech delivered by uh, the late Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in India in 2007, uh, long before the podcast started, of course, but nevertheless, uh, certainly something that we we gave quite a bit of attention to. Um, I, one of the things I wanted to sort of also reflect on, Katie, is I think I think one of the real strengths of the podcast format um, is in what it's allowed us to do in terms of just responding and commenting on crises uh, in Asia, because uh, there's certainly a lot of this, uh, right? I mean, um, <laughs> I would also even include the 2016 U.S. election, uh, the sort of shock result. Uh, I remember um, we convened a podcast not too long after the election results came out uh, to quickly kind of force ourselves to engage in some analysis about what a Donald Trump presidency might mean for Asia. Uh, and, and similarly, uh, you know, I'm thinking here of also the Balakot crisis between India and Pakistan in 2019. Mm -hmm. yeah, 2017, of course, a lot of talk on North Korea, unsurprisingly, given the U.S.-North Korea tensions that year and the possibility of, uh, of a conflict breaking out. Um, the 2014 coup in Thailand, um, the 2020 coup in uh, Myanmar. Uh, so we, we certainly, I think, have... Uh, use this as a forum to reflect on many of these breaking developments. I mean, especially at a time when uh, information and data tend to be scarce. I think podcasts tend to have a, a particular strength uh, in allowing us to basically kick some ideas around without necessarily um, coming up with uh, something that you know might have a, a longer shelf life in the form of an article. Uh, so it's always sort of the first draft, I feel, for me in many ways when we talk about these things. Uh, so uh, I, and I know that, you know, listeners, uh, a lot of listeners have reached out over the years to, to be, um, you know, to express interest in, in coverage of these kinds of crises. So I hope that continues to be an interest. And that's also a reminder that, you know, Katie and I are always open to suggestions and, and feedbacks. If you do have any of that, uh, do reach out to us by email. Uh, very happy to uh, consider that as we plan future episodes. Yeah, I, you know, Ankit, I, I would agree. I think that at its best, a podcast can be like listening to um, hopefully two smart people having a conversation. Uh, and, you know, we don't necessarily have all of the answers, but I, it certainly has helped me kind of think through connections and issues uh, in, in a way that is different than writing. Um, I, I often say that I prefer writing because I can edit out the dumb parts. Uh, that is that is not true when it comes to speaking. Um, so I, I uh, appreciate the forbearance of our listeners as sort of uh, helping us think these things through and listening to us as we do it. And, and I look forward to continuing to do that uh, mm -hmm. for years to come. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, Katie, it's also kind of interesting to reflect on uh, some of the issues we talked about less. Uh, I think Afghanistan is a really big one. We're probably overdue to revisit um, mm -hmm. the the state of Afghanistan, of course, after after the U.S. withdrawal. Um, but certainly, I think it's uh, it again speaks to the um, perhaps the disproportionate interest in general when it comes to um, just you know news coverage of these issues. Uh, that I think I, I think very much are tied to the role that countries like the United States, China, India, the major powers 
uh, in Asia tend to play. Uh, and so post-U.S. withdrawal, uh, I think um, Afghanistan has sort of fallen off the agenda, uh, as it has, I mean, really around the world in many ways. Uh, so that, I think, is, uh, again, an observation that sort of jumped out to me uh, looking looking through the archives over the years. Um, anything, uh, any other observations uh, from your end? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think we've, uh, you've sort of hit a lot of it. I, I think Afghanistan is a good one and kind of an illustration of, of what is geopolitics and what drives geopolitics, uh, you know, in the sense that after the withdrawal of the United States, I think Afghanistan's geopolitical importance uh, has diminished. The country's importance has not diminished and the, the risks of the conflicts in that country haven't diminished. But I think the way that great powers kind of think about it has changed and, and so our, our coverage has changed but I, I we definitely have to get back to it um i think there's a lot to discuss there uh but you know i i just am sort of in awe that you've been doing this for for 10 years and and uh, i hope we continue to do it for i don't know 10 more years we'll see yeah uh well on that note i i just want to say i know this is a little bit of a different episode uh, than our listeners are used to uh, but i hope you'll forgive us the indulgence of uh, reflecting a little bit uh, on the 10 years of this podcast. But but like I said at the outset, uh, this this really uh, is something that we do uh, because there's demand, because people listen, uh, because people reach out. Uh, and so again, a really big thank you to everybody that's uh, subscribed to the show. doesn't matter if you've been subscribed for a week or, or for 10 years, if you've been there since the very beginning. Actually, if you have been there from the very beginning, uh, do, do send me a note. I'd love to actually uh, hear from you and, and, and hear your observations about how the show uh, has evolved and changed uh, over that decade. Uh, and certainly, Katie, I think reflecting back on the last 10 years, uh, there's no arguing with the conclusion that uh, Asia has been through just some really, I think, unforeseeable um, sets of transformations, everything from the pandemic uh, to the 2016 election in the United States um, and, uh, you know, the the intensification of geopolitical competition between the U.S. and China. Uh, so. A lot there, uh, a lot that we'll certainly be uh, keeping an eye on going forward. But uh, again, uh, just, a, just a big thank you to all the listeners over the years. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, I, I think this will uh, conclude our episode for today. We will be back soon uh, with more of the usual uh, geopolitical analysis and a little bit less naval gazing. But uh, as Ankit said, thank you very much for listening, continuing to listen, uh, like the podcast, recommend it to your friends. Uh, please subscribe and, and do not hesitate to get in touch with Ankit or I with ideas for the podcast or feedback. Uh, we love to hear from you and we'll continue uh, making episodes. Uh, I guess I'll just say aloha uh, from Hawaii to everyone. All right. Well, on that note, uh, thanks, Katie. And we'll be back soon with more.